0: We're going to continue our worship this morning by looking at the gospel reading in Matthew 21, verses 1 to 11. Hopefully the words will come up on the screen and you can follow along. Matthew 21, 1 to 11. now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethbish to the Mount of Olives, And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, who is this? And the crowds said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. May God add a blessing to the hearing and the doing of the word. Yeah, beautiful story that captures Palm Sunday. We're in this season of Lent, as we know, and it's It's obviously coming at such an interesting time in our lives, and our prayer as a church community continues this week, that we would have a life spring forth in us. That's what the word Lent means, spring forth, that life would spring forth in us as we reflect upon the journey that Jesus took through the 40 days to the cross, and then into Holy Week, his passion. And so uh, during this time, we've been reflecting on that, and I pray this morning that Indeed, as we continue to do that, that we would find solidarity with Christ to grieve, to repent, to refocus, and that, we, that the ground of our hearts would be prepared for that springing forth. That's our prayer, um, that, that, that resurrection life would burst forth in us and that this Lenten period would help prepare the ground for that. Every Hollywood movie um, uh, that is set fighting over kingdoms among kings, always has someone arriving on a horse. Some hero of the day um, arriving on a horse. That is the imagery that we often see in Hollywood movies. In a sense, it's the image that we have today, but a very different image, of course. Um, And this is the story. Palm Sunday is the celebration of what N.T. Wright calls when God became king. This is the story when this mission of God and the the kingdom, uh, bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth uh, is inaugurated with this king and his entry into Jerusalem. Jesus has been on the road for three years with his disciples. Three years have actually passed Since he was baptized, three years have actually passed since he went through the the temptations in the desert that we looked at a few weeks ago. Three years of ministry have passed where he's been on the road with his disciples. And now we begin Holy Week. The week where Jesus moves towards his death on a Roman cross. The center of our faith, the center of our Christian life. Unlike those early encounters where Jesus was uh, in obscurity, um, being baptized or in the desert undergoing those temptations, here we have a public announcement, a public display where Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem. It's a very different setting. And this triumphant entry into Jerusalem subverts everything that we know or expect from political figures or kings that are trying to rise to power. Jesus is doing things differently, showing us on the watching world that this kingdom of God, again, is just so unlike the way we think of on earth. God's kingdom looks so different. Tom Wright's going to help us set the scene The anticipation, if you've ever been to the Holy Land, he says, you will know that when you go from Jericho to Jerusalem, it's a long, hard climb. Jericho is the the lowest city on earth, uh, over 800 feet below sea level. And Jerusalem, which is only a dozen or so miles away, is actually 3,000 feet above sea level. And so the road goes through hot, dry desert all the way to the Mount of Olives, at which point quite suddenly, you have at the same time the very first real greenery, vegetation, and the first glorious sight of Jerusalem, the city itself. And even if you were climbing that road every week on business, there would be a sense of exhilaration or delight or relief when you got to the top. Now, add to the sense of excitement, the feeling that these Jewish pilgrims coming south from Galilee would have every time they went to Jerusalem for a, for a feast or a festival. They were coming to the place where the living God had chosen to, to place his name and his presence, the place, through, uh, the place where through the regular daily sacrifices, he was assuring Israel of their forgiveness, of fellowship with him, of hope for the future. They were coming there to celebrate the great Jewish stories of the past, which are mostly stories of freedom and hope. And they would meet with relatives and with old friends. There would be singing and praying and dancing and feasting. All that was implied by a pilgrim convoy coming up the hill from Jericho to Jerusalem. And so now, on top of all of that anticipation, add the gladness of the mood of Jesus' followers as they came up the hill. It was Passover time, freedom time, but it was also, as far as they were concerned, kingdom time, the time when Passover dreams, the hope of freedom, of God's sovereignty and saving presence being revealed in quite a new way, the hope that this is the time that it would at last come true. So the long climb up through the Judean wilderness was the climb... To the kingdom. Everything that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell us in their gospel accounts about Jesus' arrival at Jerusalem is designed to emphasize this one thing to show Jesus as a king. This is the story of when God became king. His followers, his disciples, had so many ideas and expectations about Jesus, similar to the the ideas and expectations even we today may have of, of Jesus. We have a lot of ideas about maybe who he is to us. He is our savior. He is our Lord. He is our friend. He is our shepherd. He is our brother. Let me ask you a question. What do you expect Jesus to be for you today? The writers of the Gospels are keen to make us realize that Jesus is much more than perhaps we have realized. Certainly more than the disciples and his followers had realized. That he was not not only setting out the teaching of God's new kingdom plan, but that he himself was the promised Messiah. The king of this kingdom, if you want to put it like that. And this was not always apparent to his followers but they slowly got it. Although they struggled with how Jesus continually revealed the nature of this kingship, this kingship looked more like serving than ruling. But there is no kingdom without a king. And the king, much like the kingdom, is not playing by the rules of what people expect. What we perhaps don't realize is that this has implications for us today, as Jesus followers, and we'll get to that. We'll get to that later. So let's look at two key things in this story that help us to understand what is going on. Firstly, let's speak about the arrival. From the moment, from this moment on the Mount of Olives, we read in the passage that Jesus, looking over Jerusalem, he began to organise his own arrival into the city. He instructs the two disciples to to go to this nearby village and to find a donkey and a colt and to bring them to him. Whether this was planned or impromptu, we don't know. It seems planned, at least in Jesus' mind. The disciples, they did this. They went and found the donkey and the colt, just as Jesus described. They brought them back to Jesus, and Jesus sat on the donkey and rode into Jerusalem City. Why? What is going on in this Imagery. Well, like I said, I suppose it looks very different, doesn't it, to those Hollywood images of kings, warriors riding in on a white horse. Jesus is on a colt, on a, on a donkey. It says in the passage that we read in Matthew 21, it speaks to why he did this. In verse 4, it says, this took place to fulfill that which was spoken by the prophet Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The prophet Zechariah, in the lineage of the Jewish prophets throughout the years, had prophesied about this coming Messiah. And he spoke about how this Messiah would be their king. And in fact, he would arrive on a donkey. And so Jesus here is fulfilling this prophecy. Here, a week before that, Jesus subverts the normal powerful figure of a military or a powerful political leader or a king on a horse wielding a sword. And instead, he comes into Jerusalem on a lowly donkey, humble, defenseless, and yet ready to unveil his kingdom as one of love and not power. One of sacrifice and not force, one of peace and not war. Jesus would usher in a new world, a new world in which we occupy today. We see Pontius Pilate struggle to understand Jesus when he interviews him later in the week of Holy Week. And they discuss the nature of Jesus' kingdom, truth power. We can find that all in John 18 and 19. This Jesus is baffling everyone, including his disciples, including the crowds, including the leaders that are watching on. This is no ordinary king, but he is king and a king demands a response. So let's move on to the second observation. We've looked at the arrival. Now we look at the response. The climax comes, we see in verse 8, the response of the people by spreading their cloaks on the ground. As Jesus is on the back of the donkey entering Jerusalem, they cut down palm branches and start waving them and singing this messianic song. What is going on here? Let's have a look at it. You don't spread cloaks on the road, especially in the dusty, stony Middle East, you don't just spread your cloaks down just for a friend or even for just a respected senior member of your family, but you cut down palm branches and you put your cloaks on the road for royalty. Foliage from the fields, branches from the trees, to wave in the streets, all of this because you are elated you're doing it because you're welcoming a king. The palm branches signaled the crowd's high expectations, a symbol largely lost on those of us who are separated from that culture and the chronology of the story. Jewish history, you see, had told of a man named Judas Maccabeus, a freedom fighter who had entered Jerusalem 200 years prior to Jesus. And when he approached, people waved palm branches and sang hymns. And when Judas finally arrived, he defeated the Syrian king. He recaptured the temple, he expelled the pagans, and he reigned for a century before the Romans took back the city. God had saved his people from an occupier once before. And so now Jesus coming into the city was their great hope of all of that happening again. Jesus was going to overthrow the Roman rulers, deliver them from this Roman occupation. The Messiah had come. And so the song rang out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The point here is clear. For some time, the disciples had believed that Jesus was the true and rightful king of the Jews, on his way to the capital city to be healed as such. So this is a royal reputation full of great expectation of deliverance. And the crowd responds appropriately, Hosanna, as I said earlier, a Hebrew word which means exuberant praise to God, but also a prayer that God would save his people and do so, do the right thing by them right away the beginning and end of their cheerful chant is actually taken from psalm 118 which is itself all about this journey up to jerusalem and the temple the sentence that followed literally means blessed is the one who comes but in hebrew and aramaic that's actually the way you say welcome in the middle of the chant they're saying welcome and they're also inserting this dangerous prayer. Welcome to the kingdom of our father, David. This is what the scene is all about. It's about Jesus as king and a revolution is brewing and it's time for God to come and become king, bringing freedom and deliverance. It's in the air. There's a buzz in the air. Here's the thing, the crowds, the people here were Jesus' followers, but not everybody knew Jesus or, or knew his claims yet. The crowds, they had either followed him from Galilee to Jerusalem, or maybe they'd never heard of him, but they'd come to celebrate. Sorry, they had heard of him, but they'd come to celebrate. Matthew indicates that Jesus' arrival created, as I say, a great stir in the city. The whole city was alive with the news. Jesus had arrived to begin this week, which we call Holy Week, that would lead him to the cross. But they didn't know that at this point. So I guess it begs the question this morning of our response to this Jesus again. There's an invitation for us today to come to Jesus And to declare again what we think of him, how we receive him. Can you imagine the night after Jesus has went into Jerusalem? Can you imagine around the dinner tables, the conversation in Jerusalem? Is this Jesus the one that's come to rescue us? Family and and friends arguing over Jesus' claims. What's going to happen next? How's the revolution going to play out? Some saying he's a traitor or a blasphemer. Others saying that he is the Messiah or the King. The arrival speaks to me of what Jesus says about who he is. It leaves us with a dilemma and a choice because we either receive Jesus on his terms or we can't receive him at all. The Palm Sunday crowd's response speaks to me about what the people following him say about who he is. The Good Friday crowd later in the week, as we know, shows us a different response to this king. They yelled, crucify him on that day. Here, they yelled, Hosanna, blessed is the king. On the Friday, they yelled, crucify him. I guess the question for us today is how are we to receive Jesus ourselves today? One thing Jesus does is he, he, he demands a response. This passage in the gospels in total as they reveal Jesus as the king of Israel and thus the king of the world as we know it, the story of God becoming king, all of this story demands that we choose Today, again, it's the choice of every generation, the conversation about who this Jesus is, the reckoning of it for ourselves. N.C. Wright says that the Gospels are consciously telling the story of how God's one-time action in Jesus the Messiah ushered in a new world order within which a new way of life was not only possible but mandatory for Jesus' followers. There's a new way of living that is mandatory for the the followers of Jesus when you respond to Jesus in the way that he demands as king, as Lord. The question is, how today do we receive Jesus? Is he just a mascot to our faith? Is he just a good moral teacher Or do we in our hearts and our lives throw down our cloaks for him? Do we welcome him into our lives readily? Do we put all our hope in him? Do we confess him as king of our lives? Do we welcome him as the deliverer, the one who has come to save us? Do we put all our hope in Christ? Have we reckoned with this and the radical way of Jesus? What it looks like to make him king and lord of our lives? Or can we sometimes just forget what Jesus actually came to do and be and to re revolutionize? Has our faith become adrift or cold or lukewarm in these months? It's been a hard season for many of us and spiritually many of us maybe do feel adrift. Maybe we just feel like one in the crowd. Maybe we're not sure how we go about putting our hope in God at a time like this. But the invitation comes again and again and again. Every day, every week, we have an invitation from this God who loves us to come and find Jesus for us his grace and also his rule and reign in our lives there is always opportunity to put down our cloaks in reverence and in response and to bless jesus is king so how do we receive jesus today is he king do we surrender to his ways? Do we call out to him when we need that help? Do we cry, Hosanna, Lord, come and save us? Come and save us from this moment that we're in. Come and save us from the, the conditions that we find our lives to be. Come and save us from our apathy or our drift. Come and enter into our lives again and deliver us from the, from the, from the place that we find ourselves Perhaps today that's your cry. Perhaps that's our cry. Jesus is king. This is why it's, it's not necessarily, I suppose, enough to receive Jesus' teachings. It's just nice ideas. But this is Jesus revolutionizing the world. And so there is a, a surrender, a submission to take up. There is a way to follow. That the kingdom of God, this good news of the kingdom of God that is built around an axis of love, that this kingdom has a king and that we can find all our hope in him. And this king is Jesus. He is Caesar of this new world order, except unlike Caesar, Jesus lays down his life for the sheep. Unlike Caesar, Jesus shuns power and position. He is the stone that the builders rejected, as the scriptures said. And yet long after Rome, long after Caesar, long after first century occupied Palestine, the kingdom of Christ is still being built today as this bottom-up grassroots subversion of worldly power. And here is the good news that the gates of this kingdom are wide open to one and all. Hosanna, blessed is the King. For those of us following Jesus, we are invited to build our lives upon this manifesto of the kingdom, to trust and pledge allegiance to the king of that kingdom, and this king who stands ruling from a cross of love with his crown of thorns, this is the king of this kingdom that we give our lives to. So the question today is, how do you receive Jesus? And the hope today is that there is an invitation again and again and again to place our trust and hope in Jesus as our King, the one whom we follow. We're coming to the end and I want to invite John and Caitlin. They're going to lead us in a song to bless the name of Jesus and to worship. And so as we do that, maybe we can invite the Holy Spirit to help cause affection in our hearts to rise to Jesus. Maybe this morning we can bow our knee and sing this protest song, Hosanna, and give our allegiance to Christ again. Say, Lord, Hosanna, we bless you, we praise you, and we need you. Help us, deliver us, be our king, we pray. This is a powerful practice of faith and dependence and loyalty and allegiance to Christ. So as we worship, let us have that in our minds and take up that invitation to put our trust and hope again in Jesus.